Okay, we today we are studying Hebrews chapter six. Hi, good morning. Hebrews chapter six, and we are on verse eleven, and it's telling, uh, it's talking about the people who had been warned, and now encouraging them to be strong in the Lord and continue in their hope and their steadfast trust in God through the Gospel. So that's the theme here. And it's going to go on to the fact that God cannot lie, that He's made promises and God will never go back on His promise. And the proof of that is the story of Abraham. And I'm going to be preaching from Genesis in church this morning, from Genesis 16. And... I just love the. I don't know how anybody doesn't anybody that doesn't believe the Bible. I don't know how they stay in their unbelief because if you study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you have to know it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because when you have all these different authors of Scripture over hundreds and hundreds of years, nobody could be smart enough to think. Of, to think of all the things that are in the Bible and how they all tie together. And it all comes in such a beautiful, inspired package. And I was studying for this sermon on Genesis 16 and just astounded at the themes and the, the word usage and how God's character is revealed and how it's the very same gospel that you find in the New Testament. Uh, wow. <laughs> the Bible is amazing. And so, like, on that, in that regard, the author of Hebrews draws on the Old Testament to show us our great faith and our great hope through the Gospel in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Hebrews 6.11 says, And we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Interesting idea. The idea of assurance. Let's talk about that a little bit. Some people... Assume that if you believe in God's sovereignty, then you really can't have assurance. And I say just the opposite is the truth. Our assurance is based on God's sovereignty, not negated by it. And there is no um, contradiction between warnings against apostasy and assurance. Yes. That God is absolutely in total control of everything in His own universe. And that no actions of man can ever thwart any of God's purposes in the long run. Alright? So, assurance is an issue. Now, here, the author of Hebrews warns people against apostasy, saying that if they blaspheme the Holy Spirit by rejecting Christ after they've received Him, that they'll be without hope. But then he turns around and says, but I believe better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, and that if you show diligence, you will have strong assurance. So, I want to talk about assurance a little bit. Okay, the assurance of salvation. And ultimately, we should look ahead a little bit. In verse 19 of Hebrews 6, it says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul... A hope sure and steadfast, steadfast that enters within the veil. <laughs> There's an old hymn that says, I have an anchor within the veil. And so this assurance, this hope, is, is basically ultimately found in Christ who went inside the veil and poured out His blood in the most holy place once for all for the forgiveness of sins. And ultimately our assurance is based on the finished work of Christ. But assurance is a very interesting Topic. Ryan Habada, our one of our pastors, wrote a booklet that we published called "The Anchor of Assurance," and that's still available. And assurance has two aspects: the objective and the subjective. Assurance is objective in a sense that it's based on things outside of ourselves. Assurance based on the fact of the gospel. That Jesus died for sins. That Jesus rose again on the third day. And that 
Our hope is based on everything He's done for us. Our hope's not based on ourselves, our own abilities, our own righteousness, but it's based on His. So that's objective. Objective means outside of ourselves. But assurance is also subjective. It's something that we have in our hearts. And the book of 1 John is really a lot about assurance. And, and in 1 John, it says that, he, that what are some of the subjective act, aspects of, of assurance? Well, that we are motivated to turn away from sin. Gives us assurance. Were we not convicted about sin, and were we not willing to repent, we, would have, we wouldn't have assurance. Because everyone who's born of God does not continually sin, according to 1 John. And it says, and it talks about our hearts, whether our hearts condemn us or not. And 1 John is very interesting because it says if our hearts condemn us not, then we have assurance. But if our hearts do condemn us, we have one greater than our heart who knows all things. And so we can still look to the objective. So assurance is subjective and objective. It's something that's outside of us in the finished work of Christ. And it's internal in the sense that we have faith in our hearts. We have hope. We have um, been given victory over sin. And our lives are changing. So we're going to look up some passages about this. But here it's saying... Oh, by the way, something else about assurance. Salvation is an absolute thing in this sense. You either have it or you don't. Right? Yeah. Like I said last week, you're a saint or an ain't. Okay? All right. But that's either or. There's no shades of that. You're saved. But assurance is something that comes in degrees. By the way, let me commend a book to you. Besides Ryan's booklet, which is very good, The Anchor of Assurance, John MacArthur's book, The Gospel According to the Apostles, has a chapter in there about assurance that's absolutely fantastic. And he talks about all the ins and outs of assurance. And you can err in several different ways. You can say it's all objective and none of it's subjective, in which case often you grant assurance to people that aren't really even saved. That's the thing where they say, you make a decision, you write your, you write the date in the front of your Bible, and then that's all you need to know. I made a decision, I'm a Christian, I wrote the date in my Bible. And you look in that and then you always know you're saved. Well, I don't believe that that really is a biblical idea of assurance. Because then your assurance is based on your decision, not based on God's finished work in Christ. Well, did you want to be a Christian? They make a decision, but about what? Well, Christ is what He's done. Well, they don't even often. They're often not even told that. No, because that's my atheist friend. He wrote in the Bible. I guess saw his name there that he made a decision. And he's an atheist. Christ, and he's an atheist today. He just because he was going to probably go to Vietnam and die, making a deal with God. So you make a decision. Well, what's the what's the reason why you're making a decision? I mean, uh, and then when he was in Germany and everything was okay, well, you know, so much for the decision. Uh, yeah. Out of fear, it's not out of uh, faith. Not out of a true faith, yeah. Faith. But God bless you, Dan, because you still witness to him, don't you? No, never stop. God doesn't I give. When he's on his last breath, dying, his last very breath, like the thief on the cross, I tell you to put trust in Jesus Christ for that last breath. So he can save <laughs> God bless you, Dan. Amen. God doesn't give up on people, neither does Dan Litsky. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, see, that's the problem with that objective only. Well, I, you know, put a stake in the ground, now I know I'm a Christian. But that's something I, it's based on what I did, not based on what God did. True assurance also has a subjective side to it. Now, the Puritans emphasize, and this is in John MacArthur's book, they emphasize subjective only. And so they were always looking inside of themselves trying to see if they saw signs of, of uh, a, a re, an election or regeneration or whatever. And they struggled with a lot of it. They, they really struggled to ever have assurance. And so you get like Pilgrim's Progress is a, is a book about finding assurance of salvation. I think the Puritans had a lot to offer. 
And what MacArthur points out is that the fact is, the truth is both. There's an objective and a subjective. The objective is what God has done historically in the person of Christ, and our faith in that. And the subjective is that God is really at work in our lives. Amen. And so that's why Peter says, if these things are in you, you know, you we're going to read that as one of the cross-references. And so here in our passage, it says what? If you show the same diligence, we desire that you show the same diligence, Hebrews 6.11, to realize the full assurance. I said assurance is something that you have more or less of. And so the more diligent we are, the more assurance we have. Because it gives us evidence that God's at work in our lives. He is at work in you to will and to do His good pleasure. And so uh, assurance is increased in the life of the person who's showing diligence in their faith. Amen. It's decreased in the life of the one that doesn't. And even when it comes to somebody else, um, usually assurance is personal, so whether I have it or not. But we also have degrees of assurance about others. Okay, When I'm called upon to do a funeral, I'd have to say when I'm doing funerals, I have various degrees of assurance about the person I'm doing the funeral for. The person who was a very diligent and vigorous Christian, I have a lot of assurance about. And I, I can say, I believe that one's with the Lord. Amen. And I have good reason to believe that. But occasionally you do a funeral for somebody where you don't know where they were at. You know, and I don't ever take all of it away. You never know. Somebody maybe believed in their last, like you said, their last little breath, you know. Say, <laughs> so, okay, God, I repent. Uh, you don't know these things. And so there are occasions when you have very little assurance about that person you're doing the funeral for because they didn't show any signs of faith. Or I've done a funeral for somebody who committed suicide. And that's very difficult. Very, very difficult. Uh, something you never want to have to do as a pastor, but I've, I've done it. And people ask, they gather around and they ask, well, that person committed suicide, but they said they were a Christian. Are they in hell now? And I, what I answered, and I had to answer that to the congregation here, I said, I'm going to leave that in God's hands, but one, one thing is for sure, we have a lot less assurance than we would have had. You know, and we can't grant assurance to people committing suicide because somebody else would be tempted to do it. Right? But on the other hand, I'm going to let God decide these things. Right? That's why I think of the parable of the pay. They were working eight hours and he agreed to give them so much pay for the day. And they worked all day long. They should have been rejoicing that they're working in God, working for the Lord. You should rejoice in it. And then the last guy comes in the last minute, like the last breath of life. The last hour gets the same pay. So all the Christians say, what's the deal, Lord? Why is he getting the same as us? God said, you agreed to salvation. Salvation? You should be glad you're in the house of the Lord and had salvation for 50, 60, 70 years. This guy comes in the last minute, gets salvation. Don't complain. Rejoice. All of heaven rejoices when somebody gets saved. So he gets the same salvation. Praise the Lord. We're saved. We have assurance. Yeah. Amen. And what joy. Dean. That is referring specifically to salvation in that passage, correct? I mean, that all have the same capacity or not capacity, but the same entrance into heaven, but if it's referencing Corinthians, we're talking about your works to be judged, yeah. you shall receive reward. And I hear this again yesterday with Dr. Mom, that there's a really strong uh, confusion because people think that it's like an equal playing field once you get to heaven. It's like a, there, there are no rewards. Yeah, and yeah. that everybody's the same. And it's, you know, no, the, the, yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I've had some questions. That's a good point, Dean. That First Corinthians three says there are degrees of reward, and and also it says in, in Second Corinthians five. Um, will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to do to receive for the deeds done in the body, um, and it only has to, it has to be that way. Otherwise, if it wasn't that way, it would people would say, "What's the difference?" Um, somebody asked me this question. I think call uh, yeah, in a phone call or an email, a CIC reader somewhere else in the country is asking about that. Well, what about these people that are 
participating in these apostate churches? That was the question. Because there are so many of them today where the gospel is not preached, the word is not taught, and you basically have a Christianized social gospel without any you know, real call to repent. There's no repentance, no, none of that. And are these people, the question was, are these people lost? Well, I, my answer was, well, probably two things are going on. In fact, for sure two things are going on. There are people with false assurance who really aren't Christians. They've never really been saved. They just have mental, sort of a... Everybody goes to heaven. Yeah, they just have mental assent to certain things and, and they're not really born again. Well, those, of course, if you're not born again, you're lost. But on the other hand, there are people who really are going to be like First Corinthians 3. They're building a wood, hay, and stubble. Amen. And this seeker-sensitive... Uh, Man-centered gospel is wood, hay, and stubble. I'm telling you that. It's definitely wood, hay, and stubble. It's not gold, silver, precious stones because it's, it's just going to burn up. It's, it's built on man, not on Christ. All right, let's get to our cross-references. So it says here that we should show diligence so as to re- re- realize full assurance of hope. So the more diligent we are in our walk with God and in our faith and in our obedience to Christ, the greater is our assurance. That, I think, is important to realize. Assurance comes in degrees. Alright? Assurance comes in degrees. You're fully saved, but if you're out living for the devil, you'd have to have some reason to start wondering. Right? That's why these fake preachers uh, jerk a lot of baby believers around. Like Paul said, they just get jerked around and so sad because they don't have assurance. So they're signing up for every program imaginable, hoping to get assurance. Like when you're a Catholic, trying to do all these works and going to the priest and all these leaders. It isn't a leader. It isn't Billy Graham. It isn't anybody, whoever these leaders are. It's it's Christ in you. It's Christ that you're... Here's a passage, Dan. Romans 5, 2 through 5. Dean, Romans 12, 11. Brian, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Uh, Mary, do you have a Bible? Do you want to read one? No, I just thought that's why Dan's gone back to the days where I learned that number one, really stopped my church coming here. Oh, well, you learned okay. Because I didn't want to hear anything about that. Okay. Well, then we'll move on to Dean. Galatians 6 and verse 9. Cladorus. 2 Thessalonians 2:16 and 17 and Norm 2 Thessalonians 3:13 I got a lot of verses here. Bert, you get the good ones. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. And Barb 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. Those are good ones. They're all good. We like all verses. Amen. All right. Romans 5, 2 through 5. By whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Wow. Given to us. Given to us. Yep. Holy like well, we have the Holy Spirit. In the Old Covenant, He left it. But in the New Covenant, He doesn't leave. Yeah, you know, um, we, that's a good thing to point out when we're talking about assurance, that the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts is really His greatest source of assurance. Because He is um, the one at work changing us, cleansing us, and giving us the power to live lives that would be pleasing to God. So that the passage there is about our hope that in, because God is at work in us. Romans uh, 12 and verse 11. Romans 12 and 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Okay. So we're not supposed to be slothful. <laughs> That's an old, that must be the King James. Yes. The sloth. 
how would we say it today? Lazy. lazy. Okay, we're not supposed to be lazy when we're serving God. Yes, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Your salvation doesn't come and go, but your degrees of assurance do, and the more diligent you are about walking out what God said, the more assurance you have. The more confident. Yep. That's true. It is leading. It's just the, that's the nature of assurance. It's not an absolute that it just is always there at the full degree. Exactly. The objective is always there, and that's what God's done. You know, God's already done it all. He's already sent Jesus. He already died for our sins. He already went within the veil where we have an anchor of hope. And all He's done His part fully. And He's already at work in us through the Holy Spirit if we're Christian. But what we're supposed to be doing uh, really has a lot to, to do with how much assurance we have. And that's why it says here, if you have the same diligence to realize the full assurance of hope. So diligence gives us full assurance. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Uh, what's the passage there in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Brian? Uh, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be firm, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing and being continually aware that your labor in the Lord is not futile. Yeah, so always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, I think it says in the New American Standard, that it's not in vain. Our work of, we often quote that 1 Corinthians 15 at funerals, because it's about the hope of the resurrection. But because of the hope of the resurrection, we should work hard, says, being diligent, knowing that it's not in vain, that there's a future hope that we all have for the resurrection. That was 1 Corinthians 15 1558. 1 Corinthians 15 1558. Okay, now Galatians 6 9. Dean has that one. That's a good one. Don't don't get tired of doing well, for in due season you'll reap. How, how many of you know that sometimes you don't always get appreciated right away? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Ask Carl. Carl was uh, sharing the gospel out on the streets yesterday, and this guy just went totally ballistic on him, just exploded with anger uh, to the point of almost being dangerous. And you know, Carl, he's so belligerent. No. <laughs> I know. Not just the opposite. He's the kindest guy you ever saw. But this guy, this guy's anger was over the gospel. He was just angry, bitterly angry, angry to hear the gospel. And sometimes you get that kind of reaction. Yeah. But you know, when somebody comes to the Lord, it's all worth it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah. Well, God's, God's got His people, I'm convinced, scattered all over in all kinds of places. Yeah, he definitely does. There are people going to churches where they maybe haven't heard the gospel in 30 years, but they're Christian. They're just starving. And I hear from them. I hear from starving Christians all the time. But uh, 
We, that, that in due season you'll reap if you faint not. We need to be, because there is a delay between the seed time and harvest, we need to have diligence. And uh, the farmer that gives up is not going to have much of a crop, is he? And I grew up on a farm. I mean, you got to keep working that farm all summer long because the harvest doesn't come till October. You know, and you got to pull the weeds all summer if you want to have a harvest. Yes, Kathy. So you're showing kindness to people, but it takes a while before it comes back. Yeah. Okay, so be don't don't get tired of doing well because there's going to be a harvest. God will bless you. Second Thessalonians two sixteen and seventeen. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. There, that's a good uh, blessing. May God establish you in every good word and work. Um, and in Second Thessalonians three thirteen. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing Same thing as Galatians. So Paul told all the churches that don't get tired of doing good. Amen. Have you ever started feeling like it's not worth it? Yeah. <laughs> you ever, I don't know, clean house, raise kids, you know. There's a lot of things that you do that some days you wonder why. Working a job, uh, and sometimes the benefits you just don't seem apparent. But for the Christian, we always know that ultimately whatever we do, we do unto the Lord and not unto men. And whether men appreciate it or not, we know God will. That's why Noah is one of my heroes. He preached for 120 years, nobody listened. So when I stand on the street, I don't care. Because for 120 years he preached, God was listening. That's the main thing. God's listening. You're adoring God. And these crowns, and you know what? I don't care if I had a million crowns. You throw them at the Lord's feet. And worthy is the Lamb. Worthy to be praised. All glory is His. The more you learn about Him, if you do get yeah. crowns, you want to throw everything at His feet. You just can't shut up about Him. That's the truth. <laughs> and you don't, Dan. <laughs> how, many people, how many people did you get to witness to yesterday? <laughs> dozens and dozens. Dan's our evangelist. Yes. Yes. Right. Yep. Amen. Joy also comes in degrees, doesn't it? Well, I think we're going to read about that in one of these Peter passages. One Peter one three through five. Bert. So ourselves, so we are. There's a strong assurance, yeah. Reserved in heaven for you, and God's protecting this promised inheritance that will be ours. And then two Peter tells about, I think, what we need to do. Two Peter one five through eight. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so these things should be increasing. These Christian virtues should be increasing in our lives. And as they are, 
Well, I think it says in the New American Standard, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, a knowledge of God should bear fruit in our lives. And, and so being diligent uh, will help realize full assurance of hope until the end. So, a lot of verses telling us the same thing, so obviously it's important. Brian. This may be a strange question. Tell me if anybody else gets this thought. Have you ever done a work from the Lord and then questioned your own motivation? Mm, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 If you didn't hear him, Brian said, what if you do a work for the Lord and later wonder why you, if you're just doing it for some bad motive? Um, I think that we all have that thought. And part of the reason is, we know it's true, the heart is deceitful. That's desperately wicked. Who could know it? I have mixed motives. I wish I didn't. I wish everything I did was just only purely for the Lord, but I couldn't say that. Um, but I think he helps us do more for him and less for us as we trust him. Yes, Samuel. Yeah, a true Christian actually struggles more with it than somebody with false assurance. The person with false assurance just goes their merry way thinking everything's okay. It's it's the Christian who why do Christians struggle with assurance more than people with false assurance? Well, because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, he convicts you of sin. And it makes you wonder, why am I doing this? And why am I not doing better? Um, so the struggle about it is definitely a Christian struggle. Yes, Alani. Um, yeah, well, one good verse for assurance would be First John five eleven thirteen. Yeah, I've written these this, these things to you yeah, who have believed in the name of the Son of God that you might know you have eternal life. And I wrote that article called "The Gospel to Roman Catholics" that I asked people to give to their Catholic friends. And in that article, I talk about that that you can know you have eternal life because they've never been told that. They've been told that they can't know. But it says clearly in 1 John 5.13 that you can't. So that's an important verse to know. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go to verse 12. Yeah, you're right. Hebrews 6.12 So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Imitators of those through faith and patience. So don't be sluggish. Um, let's look up some verses about the sluggard. <laughs> the, the, the Proverbs. Lonnie, I missed you back here. Proverbs 12.24. Joanne. Proverbs 13.4. And uh, Mary. Proverbs 24.30-34. We'll start with these Proverbs and then we'll look up some other verses. Okay, Proverbs 12.24. We're looking at a verse that says that we're not supposed to be sluggish. What's a slug? It's a little, yeah, it's this little thing that just doesn't move much. <laughs> all right, I've seen slugs and, and they're not very fast, all right? What does it say in Proverbs 12.24? The hand diligent will rule, but the slothful will be put to forced labor. Yeah, it says the slothful will be put to forced labor. What's a sloth? Is that an animal that doesn't move? <laughs> yeah, so a slug or a sloth would be something that doesn't move, right? And so, um, it's not a good thing, according to the Proverbs, to be a sluggard. 
according to the King James, or a slothful man. Proverbs 13 and verse 4. The soul of the sluggard or the slothful craves but gets nothing. Hmm. Interesting proverb. Proverbs twenty four, thirty to thirty four. Okay, so I guess uh, it was pretty obvious who the sluggard was. You go by his field and it was full of weeds and he didn't take care of his property. Sleeping all day rather than getting up and going to work. And it says there that uh, you sleep if you sleep enough and do uh, not too much, uh, it's not good, according to the Old Testament. You know, they talk about a Protestant work ethic, but you know, I think the work ethic comes from the Hebrews, doesn't it? If you study the Proverbs, um, very much a strong idea that that we should be diligent. Okay, uh, here's some more passages. Uh, Diane, Romans 2.7, Peter, Hebrews 10.36, and Artis, Hebrews 11.33, Noel, James 5.10 and 11, and Pat, 2 Peter 1.10. Okay, Romans 2 7, Diane. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek glory and honor, glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Yeah, so in perseverance, those who persevere um, are seeking immortality and eternal life. Perseverance in doing good, which would be works that are. Honoring to God, done out of faith, not out of hope, yeah, not dead works, but works that spring forth from faith are pleasing to God. Okay, Hebrews 10.36. Yeah, that's a good verse, isn't it? When you've done the will of God, you'll receive what is promised. Be in uh, endurance, or the Greek means... Stay under. To stay under. Don't give up. Because it is a battle. Hebrews 11.33. That's Hebrews 11.3. I wanted 33. That was a good verse though. <laughs> we like it very much. Try 33. Okay, things that the people of faith did. Great deeds of the people of faith. Amen. James uh, 5, 10 and 11. Amen. The prophets are what an example. I think the greatest example of patience, and, and there were times when he was unpatient, impatient. But think about the prophet Jeremiah. When I studied the life of Jeremiah, it's just unbelievable. I decided I didn't have it too bad at all. <laughs> Nobody had a tougher ministry that I know of than Jeremiah. He preached his whole life, and they wouldn't listen to him. Nobody would listen to him. And and then he'd go to God and complain. He says, I preach and preach and preach, and they're rebellious, and they hate, they won't serve God, they won't serve you, Lord, and it's so bad and it's so tough, I can't take this anymore. And so the Lord answers and says, well, if you can't run with the horsemen, how are you going to run with the horses? That answer meaning is going to get worse. 
So, oh, <laughs> great. That wasn't the answer he was looking for. He brought the scroll of the writings of, of God's words to the king. The king tears it up, throws it in the fire, dumps their, Jeremiah down in an old cistern that was full of muck because there's no water left in it, and he was sinking down in there to, to drown in the, in the muck at the bottom of the cistern. And an Ethiopian comes along and pulls him out of there. I think that's kind of ironic that later it was an Ethiopian eunuch that got the gospel in, in the book of Acts. Because this Ethiopian pulls him out of there and had mercy on him because none of the Jewish brethren would, would lift a finger to help Jeremiah. And he kept, and he had a really negative message. God's going to destroy the city and the Chaldeans are going to come and destroy the temple. And you're going to be hauled off the captain. And they, and, they, and they hated his message, and they persecuted him. And then Jeremiah just kept had, had to preach what God told him, even though he had no friends and nobody listened. Well, when it came true, and the captivity happened, there were a few people left behind in Jerusalem. And so they went to Jeremiah. They figured, well, this guy's been right before. Why don't we ask him? You know, Jeremiah, what does God want us to do? This is the very end of his life. So Jeremiah went to the Lord, and the Lord said, "Tell him to stay in Jerusalem and hang on, and you know some people will be coming back, and he's going to restore Jerusalem later." Well, they didn't like that, so they took Jeremiah captive and hauled him off to Egypt, where he died, as far as we know. He never came back. The very last word he prophesied, they wouldn't listen to that either. And so when Noel reads his verses, says, "Behold them." Look at the example of the prophets. The patience of the prophets is spoken in the name of the Lord. Can you imagine spending your whole life preaching and not a single person listens to you? But yet Jeremiah is highly honored in the Bible. And we'll see him in heaven. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Paul had it really tough too. And he said it to Timothy, all in Asia have deserted me. And here's, he had spent years working in Asia Minor establishing churches. And then when he ended up in prison, they decided, well, you know, they can't believe this guy. He's in prison. Uh, he's in prison for the gospel. So, the reason we need to be diligent in our faith and not sluggish is that we, we want to be imitators of those who faith, through faith and patience inherit the promise. And people like Paul, people like Jeremiah, people like Job was mentioned there in James. And uh, the Bible's full of people who uh, were the people of faith, all of which who had a lot of problems, some caused externally, some caused by their own sin, like David. So, so it says. Pat, uh, 2 Peter 1.10. Wow, fantastic passage. It says, to make your calling and election sure. An interesting um, concept. Because if the doctrine of election is true, then what can we do about it? That's what people say, right? Well, what can we do about it? God chose us in Christ for the foundation of the world, so we can't do anything about it. But that's not how Peter saw it, was it? It says, um, you make your calling and election sure, not that you're the cause of it, but by having these Christian virtues, you are gaining assurance. Let's all, I'm going to turn to that. What was that? 2 Peter 1.10? 2 Peter 1. Yeah, no, 2 Peter 1.10. That is a very interesting verse. The Bible holds a lot of things in tension that we might think are contradictory. And the Bible says both and. And I know Greg Boyd, when I had a debate with him, he kept saying, how can you do this? So he thinks these things are all contradictory, so you have to choose one and not the other. And I go, no, I just believe all of them. (laughs) 
It doesn't bother me. If the Bible doesn't see it as a contradiction, why should I? You know? Um, but here's one that you could look at that. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. Well, what could you possibly do to make that certain? Well, so as long as you practice these things, which are what? The ones that we heard earlier, add to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness. If we are practicing these things, then we have reason to believe that God chose us. It's not saying that if we practice these things, it will make God choose us. Because He sees how good we are, He needs us. It doesn't say that. Because that would be salvation by good works. It's that you have reason to believe that God chose you if you see these things in your life. So therefore, it says, um, make diligent, make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way... The entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be abundantly supplied. <laughs> What's the difference between an abundantly supplied entrance and a not abundantly supplied one? <laughs> well, as Dean said earlier, uh, the difference between being all your works burned up by what he had stubble and building with gold, silver, precious stones. And so that there's this uh, degrees of assurance. Wow, very interesting. That's yes. why we have to always testify the gospel, because that's one of the biggest ones the Mormons use. By your fruits, you know us. They're going to do all these things to show before man. That's their goodness, their patience, all this stuff before man. But it's still, uh, still done saying it's not the truth. So, but you notice hell, you know, I always look in reverse. You know, why won't you be diligent for the Lord? You know, I'm so wore out. When I used to come home from this old atheist friend of mine, I lay on the couch. I used to lay there like Jeremiah, asking for help. Because I never seen so many people of darkness so diligent. I tell you, they never stop for help. They don't <laughs> stop 24-7. And they got emotion, they got power, they never stop for Satan. And greater is what? He that is us and he is in the world. They are the most diligent people on the face of the earth for darkness. And they never tire. They never quit. Every emotion, every part of their flesh, every part of their soul is for hell. So, you know, like God said, take lesson from those people. Take lesson. If they can be so empowered for the darkness, you got me. Wake up, old yeah. sluggard. Yeah, exactly. In fact, another one of the ones about the sluggard says, go to the ant. Go the <laughs> yeah, go look at an anthill and you get motivation. Well, look at how hard they work. Yeah. Yes, please. Amen. It's because a lot of Christians try to do things on their own strength, like, okay, okay it's good to do what we love. And that is why we get tired. It's like, so unlovable that person, Lord. How can I love that person? But the Lord says, it's not by your own strength, but it's mine. You ask me for love, and you know my love. And Amen. You can love that person. Therefore, we cannot get tired. Therefore, when God says, be diligent, what I think I take it as be diligent in following His leading. Like, sometimes the flesh is weak. It's like, Oh Lord, you know, uh, in my own, I'm so tired, I can't go out like at this time to minister to this sister, and I know she needs to be ministered to. And all I want to do is just cross to bed now, Lord, and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But because the Lord says, He or she needs your help, so I give you the strength, and you can go. Amen. We can do things that ordinarily we cannot do because the Lord empowers us to do. It's because we, I know it's good to follow like uh, as we got uh, godliness, gardening, you know, gardening love, and things like that, but I've done that all, I've done that on the own strength, and Because it's God. 
Yeah, it's God. It's God who's at work in you. going to uh, preach actually on, on that. The sermon today is going to be about Hagar and Sarah. Remember Sarah, that story in Genesis? Sarah, they had a promise of a child. So Sarah decided, well, God's not going to do it, so I come up with my own idea. Remember that, that story? And so that's what the sermon's going to be about, because then she got in a lot of trouble because she, she turned Hagar over to Abraham when she should have prayed and trusted God. And it was a really bad outcome. We ended up with Ishmael. The wild donkeys called, yeah, and and then the promise the promise is that God would do it. Yes. Okay.